Hello, everyone. This is Pastor Alan Gilman from All Saints Lutheran Church bringing you the message for October the 25th, 2020. I want to encourage you to stick with me to the end because there'll be some things I'll be sharing that that really capture what the Gospel of Mark is all about. And so don't skip to the end either, but stick with me as we look at the remarkable Gospel. The following is a recording of a sermon given at All Saints Lutheran Church in Ottawa, Canada. For additional messages and more information, visit allsaintslutheran.ca. And so we're continuing our series in the Gospel of Mark, which I've entitled The, Remar- I've entitled the Remarkable Gospel. And um, I, I hope you're going to find this week's message particularly interesting and um, and engaging. Uh, we're going we're continuing in chapter 14. We're at the section which has been traditionally referred to as the Last Supper. It's actually Jesus' last Passover Seder, uh, the special ceremonial meal that Jewish people continue to celebrate ever since uh, the Israelites left the land of Egypt thousands of years ago. And, and we're going to see how Jesus leverages that special meal to speak about his new exodus that he uh, was bringing to his disciples then and seeks to bring to us today. But you're going to see, I hope, that this is not really what it's all about in the in this section, that actually there's something he's seeking to tell us um, as the Last Supper, the his last Passover, is sandwiched between some very important things that he says. But first, we're going to read this section. We're going to be focusing on Mark chapter 14, verses 12 to 31. But for the sake of context, we're going to read from 12 through 42. So let's do that. Let's read Mark chapter 14, verses 12 through 42. And on the first day of unleavened bread, when they sacrificed the Passover lamb, His disciples said to him, Where will you have us go and prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the city, and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him. And wherever he enters, say to the master of the house, The teacher says, Where is my guest room, where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room furnished and ready. There prepare for us. And the disciples set out and went to the city and found it just as he had told them, and they prepared the Passover. And when it was evening, he came with the twelve. And as they were reclining at table and eating, Jesus said, Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. They began to be sorrowful and say to him, one after another, Is it I? He said to them, It is one of the twelve, one who is dipping bread into the dish with me. For the Son of Man goes as it is written of him. But woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. And as they were eating, he took bread, and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to them, and said, Take, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many. Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. And Jesus said to them, You will all fall away, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter said to him, Even though they all fall away, I will not. 
And Jesus said to him, Truly I tell you, this very night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he said emphatically, If I must die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said the same. And they went to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, Sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter and James and John, and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. And going a little farther, he fell on the ground and prayed that, if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. And he came and he found them sleeping, and he said to to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And again he went away and prayed, saying the same words. And again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were very heavy, and they did not know what to answer him. And he came the third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and taking your rest? It is enough. The hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you again for your word, and we pray that you would help me to to teach well. But most of all, would you speak to us and help us to hear what you're saying in our day. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so let's go back to verse, verse 12. And on the first day of unleavened bread, when they sacrificed the Passover lamb, the disciples said to him, Where will you have us go and prepare for you to eat the Passover? So remember, we're at Passover time. It was one of the three special feasts when people from not not only the land of Israel, but so many people came from outside, Jewish people came from outside the land of Israel to celebrate this feast. And so Jerusalem was packed. And um, it could almost sound to us as if this is a last minute thing, like they hadn't done anything or no one had done anything to get the Passover meal ready Uh, but it seemed that the Lord had already made some arrangements and so now the these unnamed disciples are asking well where are we going to go and do this now it's possible that only Jesus knew where this would be and and because there was a lot of secrecy over what he was doing they had to be very careful and we're going to talk about that more uh, as we go along Um, so they may not have known uh, exactly what he had in mind had in mind verse 13 and he sent two of his disciples and said to them go into the city and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you follow him and so this seems to be some sort of signal that he had already arranged with this man to meet these disciples at a particular time one of the reasons why we think that this is a special prearranged signal is men didn't normally carry jars of water that would be something that women did and so this man would be doing this unusual thing and that's how they would know that he was the man that they were to follow to find where they would go verse 14 and when wherever he enters say to the master of the house it's possible it's there is the man and then there is a person who owned this house the teacher says where is my guest room where i may eat the passover with my disciples verse 15 and he will show you a large upper room furnished and ready there prepare for us and so this man was loaning jesus and his disciples this large room to celebrate the passover there so 
they didn't necessarily have all the arrangements ready, but the room would be ready for them. Verse 16, and the disciples set out and went to the city and found it just as he had told them. You do a sermon just on the, just as he had told them. And they prepared the Passover. And so so do notice this whole secrecy arrangement thing. The Messiah himself, the Son of God, the Lord, the Messiah, Jesus, was being very shrewd, very careful. And sometimes we think that if we really had faith, then we could just live any way we want and God's just going to take care of us. And while we shouldn't fear, we need to be smart. And it was very important for things to um, work out in a very particular way. And the Lord made sure that his disciples and other people involved would follow his directions very carefully. And at this point, being very careful not to be too public about what they were doing. We need to be shrewd. He does tell tell us that elsewhere. Verse 17, And when it was evening, he came with the twelve. And as they were reclining at table and eating, Jesus said, Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. Now, before we get to the betrayal statement, there's so much that could be said about the meaning and customs of Passover. And so we're only going to uh, touch on this. Uh, so for the Jewish people that would be hearing this story, remember it's likely uh, this is Peter. They think that Peter spent a long time in Rome. Uh, by this time, there there would have been Jewish people around. And there, there seems to be the way the story is told, he has non-Jews and Jewish people in mind. And of course, for the Jewish people, just to, to say Passover, Feast of Unleavened Bread, which is Feast of Matzah. That's what unleavened bread is. And and as we go through this, and it talks about bread, uh, this is another thing too. So when you know it's Passover, you're not picturing a loaf of fluffy white bread. Well, actually didn't have white bread back then and wouldn't have been as fluffy as some of the breads that we have today. But it wouldn't have been that the traditional loaf of bread that is so common to us today. These would be a type of flatbread, not just any old flatbread, because some flatbread is sti- still has yeast in it, some sort of yeast or, or leavening product to, to make it a bit airy. This would be a non-airy kind of bread, matzah, flat. Uh, it may not have been the hard, crispy kind that you would buy in the supermarket today and that is so common today. It might have, it, it probably had give and some elasticity to it, but it would, uh, it would not have any leaven in it. So it would be matzah. So matzah is a type of bread. That's why we encourage people not to ever refer to, to matzah bread because that's like that's like saying bread, bread, unleavened bread bread. So it's matzah. And it's Passover with all the various elements that go along with Passover. And the thing I want to emphasize is when the person telling the story says Passover, in Hebrew Pesach, it would fill the minds of the hearers. In fact, they could probably smell the smells and they hear the sounds. Just like when we say Christmas, people who grew up with Christmas, it automatically, you have images almost subconsciously of, of what the person's talking about. And so there's, and for the Jewish people, Passover was the, like the central, not like, it was the central 
uh, event of the entire year. The whole identity of the Jewish people is wrapped up in Passover because that's where we celebrate. I say we because me and my family, we are Jewish believers in Jesus. And so for us, Passover is that central event, identity event, where we celebrate our rescue from Egypt, where we'd been slaves. And as we retell the the Passover, we always say, if this hadn't happened, God didn't come to rescue us, we would still be slaves today. Our whole identity is wrapped up in this. And so um, if there's a Jewish audience and, and if there's aspects of this, especially that's for a Jewish audience, there isn't a lot that needs to be said about Passover. And so what we have here in this story is we have a very brief uh, telling of what Je- some of the things that Jesus said during what would have been a much longer meal, a ceremonial meal. It was also a full meal with ceremonial uh, aspects to it. And he leverages some of the traditional aspects of the Passover meal, but that's sandwiched between two very dramatic statements that he makes, one about betrayal and one about denial. And it's possible that this is really what this passage is all about. It isn't the main point, but if we don't get what he's saying about betrayal and denial, we're going to miss, possibly, what the Gospel of Mark is all about. All right, so as he, um, as they begin the meal, they recline, as was the custom at that time, at a low table, um, he makes this announcement. Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. This idea of betrayal, the word is actually to give over, to give over. It could be a thing, it could be a person, a delivery. Uh, That's the idea, the delivering over. In this case, it's the delivering over of him. And because it's uh, one of them that will deliver him over, then we use the English word betrayal. But the word doesn't actually mean betrayal. It, It becomes betrayal because somebody is is um, connecting Jesus with those who are seeking to bring him down. And because he's one of this, this person, the person doing the giving over is part of this close company, we call that betraying someone. And okay, and so this is really bad news because it's, it's one of them. But note their reaction. It's quite interesting. Verse 19, they began to be sorrowful. So this is unexpected. And they get really sad. And it's possible that they're getting, they're sad here because maybe they're finally connecting with what he's been trying to tell them over and over again before now that even though he's the Messiah, the King of Israel, the Savior of the world, and there's so much of this they don't yet understand, they had a, they imagined him to be the one who would do the new Exodus, a new Moses, a new Joshua, to rescue them and to bring them to an, in a sense into a new promised land of God's kingdom, and that he would change the whole world because of all the things that he would do. And yet, even though they expected that, and so much of that that they understood, and I've tried to explain, was accurate, they couldn't comprehend what he was telling them about being arrested, being uh, suffering, dying, and then rising. They just, all that they didn't understand. And so now they talk about betrayal 
and they must they must have been aware that the pressure was coming down on them that the what he had been saying in the temple just before this time that we've been looking at in the past couple of weeks and really giving it to the leadership of the temple system and they knew what kind of power that the uh this the the priests had they knew things were heating up and now starting to talk about betrayal maybe it was beginning to dawn on them that things were not going to work out very well so first they're sorrowful they're sad and then they say one after another and in the greek it's one by one they said and in the english standard version it says is it i it almost sounds like oh my could it be me but that's not really what it is it's it's more in terms of not me is it you're not meeting me but one by one by one are they offended they're certainly troubled, but it's interesting that they would even ask that at all. And it could be they're getting very defensive. And then he says, verse 20, he said to them, it's one of the 12, one who is dipping bread. Remember, that's the matzah, the matzah into the dish with me. And this would be part of the, the Passover meal that the common dipping and and at this point, and in the Gospel of John, it's told a little bit differently, but but still, they're all there at this table, and they all dip their matzah into a common dish. And so it's someone right at the table, and they don't know yet, at least for sure, who it might be. Verse 21, For the Son of Man goes as it is written of him, and that's a reference to Psalm 41, verse 9, where it says, Even my close friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted his heel against me. Then he says, But woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. This is another verse that we could spend several talks on uh, because it's confusing. There's the idea that it was prophesied that this would happen, but to think that it would have been better for this man not to be born and and people really struggle with was it predetermined that judas who we know is the one who is the betrayer would do this and he had no choice or what we need to be very careful of falling into fatalism and especially with what i think is the intent here that really there's a warning here we're going to talk about the more in a moment there's a warning here about not being a betrayer and we need to break any kind of idea that when people begin to to pull away from God's goodness pull away from God's truth that we have no choice that is not a biblical way of thinking we're called to repent we're called to be faithful and we're called to respond we need God's help to do that but we're not fated into some sort of cold destiny that we have no choice over. If that was true, all this would become nonsense. Verse 22, And as they were eating, he took bread, the matzah, and after blessing it, he broke it and gave it to them and said, Take, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it, and he said to them, This is my this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Now, for a lot of people listening to a message like this, this is a high point. These are very familiar words because this is all about what we call today communion. But remember, in the context, it's the leveraging of Passover. It is the basis of what we call communion today. And it is it is tragic that for many, many Christians along uh, around the world, uh, 
the communion has been disassociated with Passover. To disassociate communion from Passover is to miss much of the meaning of of communion. Um, in the historical context, it's it's Passover, and what Jesus is doing, he's leveraging a couple of the elements. There are many ceremonial elements in the Passover celebration, but he took two of them, the drinking of the of, of cups of wine. There were four in the Passover meal. And he took one of them and he used it to refer to the the blood of the covenant. And and then, uh, I reversed the order here, I'm sorry. Uh, he had t- taken some of the matzah, and I wish I had more time to talk about this. Now I, I explain this in full when I, when I do a, a a, a messianic Passover seder, which hopefully we'll be doing more of in the future. But um, he took some of the matzah, he broke it, and he, and he said, you know, "This is my body." And they, and they knew he wasn't saying, "This is my actual body," because they understood symbol. The Passover celebration was full of symbol, and so this matzah would become a remembrance symbol of his body, which he had given freely unto the will of God uh, to die on behalf of all of us. And then he refers to the blood of the covenant, which I'm assuming most of this they missed. It wouldn't be till much after where they're able to look back on what they did and then they would be able to understand it and convey the meaning to other people. But in the moment, when he goes the blood of the covenant, I don't think they caught that he was saying, this is Jeremiah 31, verses 31 through 33, that speaks about the new covenant of forgiveness of sins that would enable uh, us to become God's people fully and, and God's word would be put in our hearts and there's so much that can be said and I don't want to take more time on it. They probably missed it all, which is part of the point of what I want to share today because this passage, while we can go back to it and learn so much from it, the point isn't so much these elements here in what eventually becomes communion. Verse 25, truly I say to you, I'll not drink again of the fruit of the vine, which is it's part of the blessing over the, the cup of wine. Blessed are you, Lord of God, creator of the fruit of the vine. He uses those words. I'll not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. And so he's talking about betrayal. He's going to be talking about denial. He's going to be talking about his death. And yet he says, I'm going to drink it new in the kingdom of God. He's speaking about a time later when he's going to be able to celebrate with them. Again, I'm assuming they're they're not getting this yet. They're only going to understand it later. Verse 26. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. This is this the hymn referred to here is probably the chanting of Psalm uh, what's called the Hallel, uh, which means praise, and it's Psalms 113 through 118. Um, uh, the first few are done before the full meal, and then after the meal. The remainder of the Hallel is recited. The Hallel is chanted, rather. Hallel is chanted um, at major Jewish festivals, including Passover, and this is most likely what they were singing. And then instead of going back to Bethany, where they had been staying, they're going to spend some time, it's probably late at night now, um, on the Mount of Olives. Verse 27, and Jesus said to them, and it might have been while they were walking or after they'd gotten to the Mount of Olives, and Jesus said to them, you will all fall away for it's written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. This is a quote of Zechariah chapter 13, verse 7. 
This word for fall away uh, is the word for stumble. It's tripping over, and it's the um, and it's the idea of getting entangled and failing. And what a thing to say to your disciples. Um, they've already dealt with this betrayal thing, which is going to be one of them. By this time, Judas is gone. There might be a, uh, there's some confusion. Some of them seem to be aware. We know this from the other gospels that Judas was going to do this. Others not, but Judas is gone by this point, and um, they're being told that they're all going to fall away. They're going to become unfaithful. They're going to act like non-disciples. Well, what a thing to say to them. But he says, verse 28, but after I'm raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Now, there's another thing, too. They probably didn't catch this. The idea that he would die and then he'd meet up with them after would have completely gone over their heads. All their real, And we can see all that they're really going to catch on to is the fact that he said, you're all going to fall away. And Peter, in Peter fashion, verse 29, Peter said to him, even though they all fall away, I will not. What a thing to say doesn't catch what he says about the resurrection and Peter has this what we know to be empty confidence he doesn't really know himself does he verse 30 Jesus comes back at him and Jesus said to him truly I say to you this very night before the rooster crows twice you will deny me three times can you imagine saying I will never do this I will never deny you and he says not only will you deny me you're going to deny me three times what a thing to say to somebody and somebody like Peter And he comes back again at Jesus, verse 21, but he says emphatically, if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said the same. Like they're they're all saying, no way, we're not going to do this. Well, how can you say this? We've been with you all this time. And, And yet he rightly predicts that they are going to all act like non disciples. So we see here that. The inauguration of this great remembrance of him, of Jesus, in this thing we call communion, and we think of it in such a peaceful way, and it's a touching thing. We connect with the Lord in this intimate way. We remember him. It's sandwiched between these dire statements of betrayal and denial. What we don't normally think of, and a lot of people say, well, we want to become like we want to become again like the first century church. When we read the New Testament, especially the book of Acts, we see this in Paul's letters too, um, that it, w- it wasn't easy to be a follower of Jesus. If you actually look at what was going on, we see a lot of commotion. We see a lot of commotion over, over him and over his mission. The message of the gospel, which is more than Jesus died for our sins and rose from the dead, it's that because he died for us and rose from the dead, we need to turn from God before his judgment comes and be filled with his Holy Spirit and and fulfill his mission in the world that his kingdom would come on earth as it is in heaven. That's what the, the message of the gospel, the good news really is. Well, not only is that a powerful life-giving message, It's a message that divides people and it causes trouble. Again, read the book of Acts. 
see the condition of these seven churches in the book of Revelation, written probably near the end of the first century, so a few decades after this time of when, when Jesus taught these things, we see most of those churches in what's now Turkey were in big trouble. They were at, they were some of these churches were dying. Jesus was saying that their lampstands were going to be removed. Their, their, that's a metaphor. Their, their light, their life was almost snuffed out. If they didn't get back right with God, they were going to be finished. Not a very encouraging message. It is encouraging in the sense that Jesus is calling his people who are struggling with their faith back to him. We can come back to him. They could have come back to him. Sadly, some did not. And today, some do not. So people had to then and have to now be encouraged not to give up. Remember, in Mark chapter 4, Jesus gives that parable of the sower with the seeds and the different kinds of soils that produced a different response. And only one of those four different kinds of soils remained true to what had been planted in them. Only a minority remained true to what God was calling them to. So only a minority we see, we see this through the New Testament, only a minority stick and become fruitful. The believers of the first century were under great, great pressure they were under great pressure from family. We read about that, it was, I think it was last time or the time before, about families would be divided over the message of the gospel. So there'd be pressure from family, from friends. And we might say, you know, would-be friends. But no, people who were really close to us. And we see this in the person of Judas here, that even someone who had been with Jesus for, and the disciples for all those years would become a betrayer. Uh Pressure from work, pressure from neighbors, pressure from government. This is what they all faced, and believers have faced this all through the centuries. And so the pressure that true believers, true faithful followers of Jesus face, the pressure is the dangers that we face are that of betrayal, of becoming a betrayer, and becoming a denier. And this is the warning that we have here. Here, Jesus is just about to do what he'd come to do by dying on the cross and for our sins and rising from the dead. And what's the message that he's bringing his disciples uh, on, the, on the eve of that? Don't betray. Don't deny. And, and he's giving that warning because of the tendency to be one of those two. For followers... We're not talking about non-followers. He's talking to followers. Will you betray me? Will you deny me? And notice the response is, no way, no way. I would never betray you. I would never deny you. Peter, even if I have to die. And yet he's going to, we'll see that I think next time, or maybe two messages from now, that he will deny, not betray him, but deny him three times. To betray, it's different from denying. To betray is to undermine the plan of God. It's, it's to somehow to be aware of who Jesus really is, what he'd come to do, and yet 
to do something to undermine what he's doing. Not just leave, but to undermine. And that's what Judas did because he hands him over to the people that will bring about his death. And, and don't just, you know, we think, oh, well, he had to die for his sins. But that's not the point. Remember, woe to him who did this, who gave him up, who betrayed him like this. And often betrayers are the people that think, well, you know what? This has gone too far. You know what? This is too extreme. You know what? Something's got to be done about this. And we get involved with the lives of believers in wrong ways and we undermine the very work of God that he's seeking to do through some of his precious followers. Jesus is 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 what happened to Jesus is an example of what happens uh, to other true followers of him and people who often they think they know better and they often think they're doing it in the name of God and yet they they cause great damage to those people and to the very work of God. The denier is a person who becomes unfaithful to the Lord and hides away, doesn't act like a disciple. That was the danger in the book of Hebrews. If you've never read it, read the book of Hebrews and see this community of of possible, it was Jewish believers in some place, we're not too sure where they were, who started off really well, but the pressure of their faith, of reaction to their faith, had come down upon them to the point where they're beginning to move away uh, from a clear witness of an uh, identification, from a clear identification of being followers of the Messiah, Jesus. And isn't that what's happening in our day? How many people today clearly identify with Jesus and his mission? And I'm not talking about putting a bumper sticker on your car or wearing a button or having a cross around your neck. Or, or what you post on Facebook. I'm talking about in the thick of life, with family, with with work, um, with your politics, in church. Are you, do you have a clear witness of your relationship uh, with Jesus? Is your, who you, are you serving not only him in name, but his purposes in these days. I believe if we did that, we would face those pressures. And if we're not facing the pressures of our faith being challenged, it's possible that our faith isn't really what it should be. But if it is, you might be experiencing that pressure right now. Take heart. And the good news is there's there's restoration for the denier. Get back to the Lord. Like if, 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 if you feel that you should have spoken up even years ago and maybe that sent you on a trajectory of, of unfaithfulness ever since that time, come back to God now and, and be bold in your faith. Ask God for the courage that, that we should ask God for the courage we need to be clear about our identification with Jesus and his mission in our day. And if we find ourselves having done the despicable act of betrayal and the cowardly act or the cowardly act of denying him, pulling away from him, acting like a non-disciple, what's the answer? 
identify with him in that he had, has come to give his body and his blood for the purposes of God, for its identifying in his death, which we say we're doing when we take communion, but are we really doing that in the way we're living? If we're willing to deny ourselves, take up our crosses and follow him and identify with him in his death, then we will also experience resurrection power now and be part of that great number of those who will be resurrected to life and participate with him fully in what the Bible calls the age to come as God establishes his new heavens and new earth and lives among his people forever. If we want to be part of that, we need to be part of his sacrificial life unto death today by not being afraid and by identifying him in his mission today. Let's pray. Our Father, forgive us if we have ever betrayed you. Forgive us if we've ever denied you. Lord, if even now we are afraid of truly identifying with you and your mission on earth today, in the name of your Son, we ask that you would give us the courage that we need that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit afresh and that you would make us bold, courageous followers of your Son, clearly identifying with you, that we would be emissaries of hope in a despairing and very confused world. Help us to be all that you want us to be in these days. In Jesus' name, amen. Until next time, this is Pastor Allen. Please, as usual, if you have any questions, any comments, email me at pastor at allsaintslutheran.ca. Until next time, God bless you and your families. Thank you for listening. For additional messages and more information, please visit us on the web at allsaintslutheran.ca.